0: You are listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope you were encouraged by this today. For more information about our weekly services, or messy church, you can find us at haddingtonelamchurch.com. Week five. I've nearly risen to Mike's challenge of putting it into six weeks, because this week we're going to cover chapter 15 to 19, which should take us up to covering... Up to the end of age. Next week's more or less what what happens after the return. So, um, yeah, Revelation 15 to 19. uh, We've got four parts. The first part, the seven angels with seven bowls. Second part, the woman on the beast. Part three, the rider on the white horse. And part four, Armageddon. Okay. Now, I'm going to read Revelation 15. I think there's only eight verses in that. Okay, the seven plagues and seven bowls. (laughs) I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God, and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord? And bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So, regardless... Of the severe pain and suffering inflicted up to this point from the seven seals and the seven trumpets, still there are those who refuse to repent. So the seven bowls are the last of the 21 judgments and completes God's wrath upon the earth. There'll be no vaccine or government intervention to prevent these plagues. Before they're released, people are separated by a decision. Those who have taken the mark of the beast from those who have refused it. We covered that last week in Revelation 13. Okay, the seven balls are released on the Antichrist system and his followers, those with the mark. We'll read that in the next chapter, Revelation 16, verse 2. So John saw a vision of the temple in heaven open with the tabernacle, and I think one version says the covenant law. We're going back into Old Testament there. He saw those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, which is the tribulation saints. They stood alongside a sea of glass, or what appeared to be a sea of glass, mingled with fire. They were given harps with the song of Moses and the Lamb. I'm sure Mike will be quite happy to hear us getting a new a new guitar, a nice, nice new harp. Now, the song... That we read there is used in similar similar phrases are used in Psalm 111, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 86, and 98. That's according to Bible Gateway. So out of the temple come seven angels dressed in white linen with gold sashes, with the seven plagues. One of the four living creatures gives each of the angels one of the seven bowls. And the, it says, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues were released. Now, these seven plagues that we're going to have a look at, they've got similarities to the ten plagues of Egypt. Also, so of the seven trumpets that we studied. I think that was week three or week four. So they are similar to the seven trumpets, except with the seven trumpets, there was only a third of what it struck was destroyed. These ones... Whatever it strikes, it seems to kill everything. The first four trumpets in Revelation 8 we study, it was a third of the trees, third of the sea, a third of the sea life, a third of the fresh water, and a third of the sun, moon, and stars diminished. In these ones, all sea life dies. Fresh water, rivers, and springs become blood, and there's much more darkness. That is in Revelation 16, which we'll be looking at shortly. But we'll be looking at that now. I'm gonna read this verse verse revelation 16 just so we can look at each verse at a time revelation 16 verse 1 to 14 so there's a loud voice calls out from the temple announcing to the seven angels to pour out the seven bowls okay so the first bowl the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. That's verse 2. It's just a thought here. They say, you know how we were discussing last week um, about a possible microchip or possible... There could be adverse effects from having a plin- an implant either on or under the skin. The second bowl, verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. So all the sea life's destroyed. So that is a lot of food supply. The third bowl, verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. That's the water supply. Each fresh, the earth's fresh water turns to blood. Note the angel there, in charge of the water, proclaims how God is just and true in his judgments. That, I think, actually I've not read that verse, I think that'll be, that is in verse 4 actually. So the fourth bowl, verse 8 and verse 9, scorching heat and fire. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scotch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Okay, in the fifth bowl, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores but they refused to repent of what they had done. Can you imagine being in agony so much that you gnaw your tongue? Okay, the sixth bowl. That's in verses 12, 13 and 14. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs, They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Okay, so the great river Euphrates, I think we spoke about that last week, dries up to make way for the kings of the east, which would make it easier for armies to travel and assemble for Baal. Three evil spirits similar to frogs come out of the mouths of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. Demons performing miraculous signs to deceive the kings of the earth to prepare them for battle. Armageddon, which we're just going to look at shortly. Okay, the seventh bowl. That's in verses 17 to 21. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake, the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup <coughs> filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing a hundred pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Okay, so there's a loud voice proclaiming, it is done. If you remember prior to that, no one was allowed to enter the temple, but now there's a voice proclaiming, okay, it's done. So it mentions here a severe... Earthquake like no other. Island and mountains cannot be found. When we read the six seal, the seven seals, I think in Revelation 6 14, it talked about island islands and mountains being removed from their places. You note here that they cannot be found. So judgment comes on Harlot Babylon, which we're just gonna look into next. Now huge hailstones, a hundred pounds each, according to Bible Gateway, that's approximately forty-five kilos each. So imagine Imagine that coming down in the carbonate. Okay, so that's seven plagues and seven bowls. All right, I'm going to zoom in on the sixth bowl, the Armageddon. Armageddon, the Battle of Jerusalem in Revelation 16. Okay, and that was in verses 12 to 16, which I think I've read. I'll just go over it again. The sixth angel pouring out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east, and I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Okay, so Bible end-time prophecy describes nations coming against Israel in the last days. We'll see an increase hostility towards Israel from Western nations as well as Arab Muslim nations which eventually leads to a global conflict. Regardless of attempts to maintain world peace through global leaders it will have no effect to vent in this war. The Battle of Jerusalem is when all the nations surround it to make war, often referred to as Armageddon or World War III. As we've read it takes place on or after the Sixth Bowl. John sees the demonic spirits performing signs to go out to deceive the world leaders, to entice them into a battle. The Hebrew word for Armageddon is Har Megiddo, meaning hill or country of Megiddo, which is approximately 80 miles north of Jerusalem. This is where major battles were fought in history and will be the place of gathering for military leaders and their armies in this conflict. This will be the largest military campaign in history. Once gathered, they moved down towards Jerusalem. So this battle takes place in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the Kidron Valley, just east to the old city of Jerusalem. Now this is mentioned in Joel as well. I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will enter into judgment with them on account of my people. Okay. So Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives and it's where he says he returns. He tells us that in Acts 1 and Zechariah 14. Jesus appears in the sky with his angels, along with the redeeming raptured saints at the seventh trumpet. The events of the Great Tribulation lead up to the Battle of Jerusalem and return of Christ. This military campaign could last up to three and a half years. He returns to earth at the climax of the battle as warrior, king, judge and conqueror that we'll read about in Revelation 19. He strikes the Antichrist empire with the seven bold judgments that we've just read and the armies that have gathered with him. Jesus uses uses overwhelming power to defeat them, described in Revelation 19 and Zechariah 14. We'll just look at Zechariah 14 verse 1 to 4. It tells us, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountains moving north and half moving south. And Zechariah also mentions a plague that comes on them. It tells us in verse 12, Zechariah 14.12 Their flesh will rot, their eyes rot in their sockets, and their tongues rot in their mouth. Which could be the effects from the use of chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons. That sounds a lot like radiation type effect. Jesus strikes the nation gathered against Jerusalem, resulting in bloodshed and destruction on a large scale. He crushes the wicked like grapes in a wine press, which we spoke about last week. Blood fills the land and stains his garments. That's also mentioned in Isaiah 63. However, the Bible also tells us Jerusalem will be the most prominent city in the world, not just as capital of Israel. God promised his future kingdom will be based in Jerusalem. It will be the capital and center of the kingdom of God. Armageddon here mentioned in Revelation just touches on it. There are other chapters in the Bible that go into a lot more detail. Zechariah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel and Joel. It gives a lot more in-depth information and there's actually more than one battle. But if we've got time at the end, I'll come back and touch on that. Just point here and I think I'll touch on this the next part. Some of these events are happening at the same time, like the seven bowls being poured out while the war is still happening. Um, John has different visions, different sketches here and we're going now to have a look at Revelation 17 where it talks of woman on the beast. We'll have a look into this. Okay, Revelation 17, the woman on the beast. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five had fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was, and now is, and is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his cold chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast, their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So, after the seven bowls are released, one of the seven angels is shown at an image of a woman on a beast. And it goes into detail. A woman on a scarlet beast. She's dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. With a cup in her hand filled with abominations. Okay, the woman is described as a mystery. Verse 18 tells us that the woman is a great city. At the very last verse in that chapter, it tells us that this is a great city that controls the world's most powerful leaders. So Bible scholars and theologians are are split over what this represents. Many believe it represents Rome. Others believe it is a Babylon rebuilt based in Baghdad, Baghdad, modern-day Babylon. So Let's pick out some facts that are definite. Okay, Babylon represents rebellion against God. That was taken from the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. She's described as a great prostitute that sits on many waters. That indicates global influence. The kings of the earth, global leaders, they commit adultery with her. They're part of this system. It tells us she has great prominence, arrayed in purple, which indicates royalty, or priesthood status. She is adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, which indicates wealth. tells us that in verse 4. She is adorned on the outside with a form of godliness to deceive, which is a type of religious deception. Despite her appearance, her cup is filled with abomination, which indicates her evil and her wickedness. So, despite her appearance, her wickedness will probably, would probably be well hidden under a message of peace, global unity, religious tolerance, humanitarian aid. It tells us that in verse 4. Okay, it tells us that she is drunk with the blood of the saints. Those who bore the testimony of Jesus, that's in verse 6. So there's a true hatred towards those who stand for Christ. Her, her position, her authority, it allows her to persecute and kill the saints. The dedicated followers of Christ. So, reading all that, it can only be described as a a global, religious and economic network. However, harlot Babylon still remains somewhat of a mystery, but scripture is clear it's connected to the end times and to the Antichrist. It's a global secular system in rebellion against God, which acts as a forerunner to prepare the nations for the Antichrist global system, described in Revelation 14 a one world government or a new world order, along with a one world religion, which has been in preparation over several years now. A global religion of tolerance, which we're already seeing emerging, has been mentioned on several occasions by the Pope. I will go back into that in a second. Verse 8 tells us, I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides. So we've got a good idea who the woman is here. Let's have a look at the beast. The beast the woman sits on is the first beast that we looked at last week in Revelation 13 with the seven head and the ten's horns. This was the first beast. We looked at the ten horns but we've not looked at the seven heads yet but we did identify this beast as being the Antichrist. The woman on the beast indicates that she's being carried. It's supported by the Antichrist. Verse 8 tells us the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. Once was, now is not. This could relate to the death and resurrection of someone or something that we spoke about last week. The beast, the Antichrist, which with a fatal wound miraculously healed, in Revelation 13 that we spoke about and we also spoke about how how many would be astonished by this miracle, by this performance. Those not in the Book of Life, it confirms again that this beast is the Antichrist. So let's have a look at the seven heads. The, The word adultery, I think the context here is used in unfaithful. Okay, the seven heads, the seven hills and the seven kings. Many believe this is the Roman Catholic Church as it is unfaithful in representing Christ with many false and unbiblical doctrines, very different from the New Testament church. The biggest deception is the belief in Christ alone is not enough for salvation. Many believe it's Rome because it's the city on seven hills. It tells us in Revelation 17 verse 9, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. So the Vatican is situated on seven hills and I've named them there. It turns people away from the true faith towards idol worship. It's one of the largest financial systems The immorality committed over the years have been well covered up. It's persecuted and tortured and burned many at the stake for rejecting the authority of the Pope. It's guilty of martyring many Christians throughout history. It's the state church in some countries, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Poland, South America and Ireland. And it also has a a major influence over many nations and the governments there. The Pope and priests claim titles that belong only to God. It tells us in verse three that she's full of names of blasphemy. Many of these, the Pope and priests take titles of Holy Father and Father and His Holiness. And I think your worship as well is often referred to. The prayers are directed to Mary and the saints. The Catholic faith teaches in order to enter heaven, all sacraments must be kept. Confessions of sins to priests who have the power to power to grant forgiveness. And purgatory is a halfway place between heaven and hell where unforgiven sins are purged away. Although there are many other similarities between the Catholic Church and the woman described as a harlot, verse ten goes on to tell us that the seven hills represent seven kings or seven kingdoms. Verse ten, they are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. Just a note on the Catholic Church, it's actually, it has been faithful in other areas. It's held to the name of Jesus in other aspects. It's also stood against homosexuality, so I'm not anti- Anti Catholic, I'm just bringing out here. I also believe that God is going to do a work. There's many people in the Catholic Church that are charismatic, so I do believe that there's going to people come out the, you know, it's not all rotten to the core. There's as much uh, deceit in the Church of Scotland and faithfulness we're turning, you know, away from the Word of God. So there are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has yet to come. That's in verse 10. So remember last week we studied Daniel's vision of the four beasts and Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue which represented the four kingdoms. Okay, The Babylonian Empire was in power at that time when Daniel was in but there had been two previous kingdoms, Egypt and Assyria. So six kingdoms had been in power in history and this is in relation to Israel. The seventh, as we spoke last week, a future and final earthly kingdom. So, these seven kings could represent the seven kingdoms. Many believe that that's what they represent, but I'm just giving you different angles here. One key verse here is it tells us five is fallen. The other has yet to come. So, we've seen five fallen and we've seen the Roman Empire. So, five have fallen. The first five um, empires had fallen prior to John writing the book of Revelation. The one that is, the Roman Empire existed at the time of John's writing. The one that is to come refers to the seventh, final and future earthly empire. But there's a wee spanner in the works here. Revelation tells us the beast, the Antichrist, is the eighth king who belongs to the seven. That's in verse 11. So the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Okay, there's different beliefs as to who or what the connection is between the seventh and the eighth king here. Is there going to be another king in power just prior to the Antichrist? Does the woman represent a seventh kingdom which the Antichrist carries? It could represent our two separate time frames. You know, in the seven-year tribulation period, we've got a three and a half, the initial three and a half year period and the Antichrist comes in in the final three and a half year with his system. In the first half, he masquerades as a man of peace. The second half is revealed, the mask's off. So during the tribulation, the Antichrist is killed and comes back to life. It could represent the two heads, the eight belonging to the seven. For me, that's something that is a case of wait wait and see. (laughs) Right, the ten horns, as we say, was studied last week. So it tells us in verse 12 to 16, the ten horns, which were the kings, have not yet received a kingdom. They bring about the destruction of the harlot system. It tells us the harlot is hated, eventually destroyed and replaced with the Ten Nation Coalition. God allows them to strip her of all her authority. Okay, So it served its purpose. The Antichrist has no longer any need for it. It's finished. The Ten Horn... I'm just going to read that verse. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. These ten kings, they want their kingdom. They want their power. It's time for this system to be finished. Enough. However, the destruction of the harlot system is part of God's judgment. It tells us in verse 17, the very last verse, that God puts it into the hearts of the ten kings to destroy it, to achieve his purpose. So this is the collapse of the religious and economic system. And this is prior to the ten-nation coalition. The ten-nation coalition, led by the Antichrist, will make war with the Lamb. It tells us that in verse 14. But it is defeated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, along with his chosen followers, the saints. Okay, it tells us that. In verse 14. So I'm going to move on to Revelation 18. Now Revelation 18 goes into a bit more in depth into the trade and commerce side of this harlot system. 18. Then I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give her back as she has given. Pay her double back for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe! Woe! O great city! O Babylon, city of power! In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. They will say the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendour have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, Terrified at her torment, they will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe! Woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, who had where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade nor will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell and the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who had been killed on the earth. So there's a lot of detail there about the trade and the commerce side of it. A mighty angel coming down with great authority. There is a call for God's people. I find this interesting. There's a call for God's people here for for them to come out of this system, not to, be any, not to be any part of her, come out of her, my people. So there's a warning beforehand of judgment here and it tells us in verse 21 that with such violence it's destroyed. Okay, next we're showing those who got drunk from worshipping and being part of the harlot. Kings, leaders, merchants and businessmen became successful and rich from her. They're now mourning her destruction. With one hour indicates the destruction is quick and sudden. One hour in- indicates a, a brief period of time. The merchants of the earth will mourn, weep and mourn over her. And that's a lot of trade and that's global trade. A new era of globalisation is upon us. A global government supported by the UN and global leaders with its own laws is it already in preparation to replace all other constitutions and governments. There, I've got facts there. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's fact. Just one or two notes going back to the One World Government. Pope Francis called for a One World Government in June 2017 to help combat key issues such as climate change. According to Charisma News, the Pope has mentioned a one-world religion on 12 occasions. I've put the newspaper clip in there, the link there, if anybody wants to look that up. Also, on 4th of February 2019, the Pope signed a covenant with one of the Islamic leaders. There's a copy of that covenant there, if anybody wants to read it. It's a a 9 or 10 page document, or you can follow the link to have a a read through it. It's an agreement between the Vatican and one of the Islamic leaders. So it remains to be seen if King Charles will be defender of the faith or defender of the faiths. That little s on the end of there could make a big difference, one little layer. Going back to a newspaper clip, clipping from the Daily Mail in 2006, I'm going to quote it. Prince Charles' desire is to be crowned king in a multi-faith coronation service. In a dramatic break with tradition, it is claimed. The Prince is said to have decided that the Christian service in Westminster Abbey must be followed by a separate ceremony involving religious leaders from other faiths. Let's see what happens. Okay, Revelation 19, rider on the white horse. Okay, as I've mentioned, earlier, some of these events are happening at the same time. Okay, Armageddon, the Six Bowls. The Sixth Bowl is where the armies gather for battle, which coincides with the fall of the Antichrist kingdom. Okay, I'm going to read Revelation 19, verse 1 to 16. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who were seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he came to me. Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the rider on the white horse. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one else knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who performed miraculous signs on his behalf, With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. In verse 7 there, there's the, the wedding supper of the lamb mentioned. Okay, this is a celebration taking place. It tells us a great multitude rejoicing here over the destruction of the great prostitute. That was in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So Jesus Christ is the Lamb. The church is referred to as the Bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, Paul compares the husband to Christ and the wife is to the church. So a marriage feast takes place between Christ and the church on his return. In Ephesians 5, 27, it illustrates the the bride being presented to Christ as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, holy and blameless, and victorious. So there's a great and joyous celebration between Christ and the saints. The parable of the wedding feast is in Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. So there's a celebration after all this. But after the celebration, there's still a battle to be won. John sees heaven opened up and a white (coughs) horse with a rider named Faithful and True come forth. So Jesus is the rider on the white horse. is described here as judge, warrior, king and conqueror. And the armies of heaven are riding on white horses, accompany Jesus. He has a name no one else knows and on his head are many crowns. Back to that picture, again, I think it was in Revelation 3 when we seen Jesus with the eyes blazing like fire, sharp double-edged sword to strike down the nations. Revelation 6, sorry, on the first seal. The wine press of the wicked, we covered that last week. It's mentioned here again. So that's one celebration, one feast, one supper. But there's also another feast happening after this. An angel is called, calling out to all the birds in midair the vultures, the scavengers, with an invitation to a second supper where the wicked are the actual supper. It tells us that in verse 20 to 21. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider. All the birds gauged themselves on their flesh. No, not a nice picture. So the vultures are invited to come eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men, horses and their riders. These are the armies that have gathered for Armageddon. It tells us that in chapter 16. The first, I think it was our first week, we looked at Matthew 24. There was a verse in there mentioned for wherever the carcass is, where the eagles will be gathered together. That could parallel what's happening here. So the beast is captured along with a false prophet. They are both thrown into the lake of fire. tells us that in verse 20. And the rest of the Antichrist followers, those with the mark of the beast, it's quite specific there, are killed by the sword. And the rest are killed, sorry, the rest are killed by the sword which comes out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and vultures gorge and feast on the remains of the wicked. So that's the, that's the 19 chapters on Revelation we've studied so far. they given us a revelation of God, his Son, his justice, justice <coughs> his mercy, and his plan that leads us up to the end of age. So when Jesus returns, there's a celebration, the Antichrist kingdom is destroyed. But that's also the start of a procession, which we'll cover in more detail next week. I'm just going to go back and touch on one or two of those battles. Now this isn't in the notes but if you want some of the notes on it I'm just going to slip this in if this time. Armageddon isn't no, no, the battle that's happening in the end times. There's quite uh the Bible mentions two or three different wars going on. There's one after the thousand year reign of Christ which was. will touch on next week. But there's also also the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. There's a, a war mentioned in Psalm 83 and there's the one that we've just looked into at the moment, that's Armageddon, Revelation 16. There's a Psalm 83 war. Okay, some believe Psalm 83 is a prophecy still to be fulfilled. The first half of the Psalm may be fulfilled but most Bible scholars agree that this is a prophecy still to be fulfilled and is the next major event to take place on the prophetic calendar. The timing of this war is not mentioned in the Bible. It tells us that 10 nations secretly gather and conspire against Israel for its destruction. So if Israel were to overpower and defeat these countries, this war could lead to the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, or it could lead to to the global conflict. The war in Ezekiel, the the Gog Magog war in Ezekiel 38 and 9, although the timing of that war is not mentioned, it's debated by many. Some believe this occurs before or during the tribulation period. Others believe it takes place after the millennium reign. Although there are similarities to Revelation 20, which we'll look into next week, there's also differences. The war that Ezekiel describes only involves specific nations. The one that we read next week in Revelation 20, after the thousand-year millennial reign, involves all nations. So there may be similarities, but there's also differences. That the war, the, the Ezekiel 38 and 39, when it takes place on the mountains of Israel, but it doesn't reach Jerusalem. It only involves specific nations. And in that war, those who share Israel's borders are not mentioned in this war. Even though these nations have been Israel's greatest enemies over the years, they're not mentioned. This war could be part of the battle of Jerusalem or it could begin with this war. Matthew 24 and Luke 21 mention Jerusalem being surrounded by armies and in that war also vultures gather for a feast, but that's prior to the second coming of Christ. The Gog Magog war that we'll look at next week is after the thousand-year reign of Christ. The Gog-Magog war is mentioned and it occurs after the millennium reign and the armies surround Jerusalem. Satan is released and immediately goes out to deceive the nations from the four corners of the earth. But in this one, although there's a large army gathered, it doesn't appear to be much of a battle because God just devours the armies by fire. Once they're gathered, they're destroyed. So that could be a separate war, but that is the final war prior to the new heavens and the new earth. We'll look at that one next week. The one we've just looked at a the, the Armageddon, that occurs prior to and after the second coming of Christ. It involves all nations gathering against Jerusalem. The Antichrist kingdom is destroyed and the Antichrist and false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire and Satan is cast into the bottomless pit from bound for a thousand years. That's during the Millennium reign of Christ. The millennial reign we'll touch on next week is where Jesus sets up his kingdom for a thousand years here on earth. He rules worldwide from Jerusalem along with the saints, with righteousness, peace, and justice. During this time, Revelation and, and Isaiah describe it as a time of peace. Satan is bound for those thousand years. So, really don't see any war happening during that time. But we'll look a bit more. If anybody wants any more details on these wars, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's all there. For further study but because it's not part of Revelation I can only really sort of touch on it but there is more in-depth information there for you. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.